Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. Hey guys, Perry here to tell you a little bit about Pluto TV. It's the leading free streaming television service where you can watch over 100 TV channels and thousands of movies on demand, all completely free. Pluto TV never asks for your credit card. You don't even need to sign up to watch for free. Pluto TV is the easiest and completely legal way to watch your favorite TV shows and hit movies for free. So what are you waiting for? Never pay for TV again by downloading Pluto TV. You can download Pluto TV for free on all of your favorite devices today, including your phone, your Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Apple TV, Smart TVs, PlayStation, and anywhere else you stream. It's that little chico pitbull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game, so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Does anybody want breakfast? Guys, let's go. I'm leaving for McDonald's in five seconds. Why do you start with that? The Breakfast Stampede Meal. It's only at McDonald's, where there's a meal for every morning. And nothing says morning like a classic sausage McMuffin with egg. Right now, get this all-time favorite for just two bucks on the one, two, three dollar menu. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to a brand new day of movie talk. First up on the list today, John Wick 4. It's official, and sure enough, that news dropped right after we wrapped our show yesterday. On top of that, a whole bunch of trailers to cover on today's show, including Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which just had its can debut. First reviews are in, and we are going to break them all down right here on this set with Coy and Haley. 
Hello, hello. I've never done a show with you before. I'm very no, excited. I'm not. I'm excited. Is this really a first for you? It is. It's funny because this is what's going to happen from now on on Tuesdays. Hey. So it I hope, here. So I well. hope you guys like each other. <laughs> In 19 minutes, we're like, never again, Perry. Never again. <laughs> I feel done? like that would be so off-brand for both of you. I've got no fears in the world. All right. Like I said in that opening there, yesterday we were talking about John Wick 3's stellar box office basically predicted that sooner rather than later, they were going to announce a John Wick Chapter 4. Sure enough, right when we wrapped our show, that's when the news broke. It is happening, and they've given it a May 21, 2021 release date. So, oh boy, where to start? Haley, we discussed a little bit yesterday. So, Coy, let's go to you first. What do you think of John Wick Chapter 3, and what are you hoping to see from Chapter 4 while keeping big spoilers out of the conversation right now? Controversial opinion. Uh-oh. I liked two and one more. Uh, I thought it was a really tricky balance of I love how grounded John Wick always felt while being super ungrounded. Like it was super high, high intensity and surreal violence, but the world always felt attainable. And there was something about this one where I, I no longer felt like I was in the real world with us because of the amount of hyperviolence. And it also, I had a really weird experience of the hyperviolence made me uncomfortable for the first time where I was like, ah! and I like <laughs> I had to like remember to get back into it where I was like, that man's eyeball. And I, I hadn't <laughs> had that with John Wick before. And I don't know if it was just... Uh, getting old, or if it was th- a different type of violence. So I liked it. It's John Wick. I definitely had a great time. I'm so glad he's not in theaters. I'll see it again. But it was not my favorite of the three. So I'm excited for John Wick 4 to see where it goes because of how it lands. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm excited to see where the world develops. And I love the universe of John Wick. I just was shocked that it wasn't like, maybe I went into, I have expectations. But I'm excited for 4 because of how I left 3. Very, very interesting. Um, the other thing we need to talk about here, because when this news dropped, we didn't get any official confirmation that Keanu Reeves would be back. Although one would assume, given where they left off, he has to come back. And it's a John Wick movie. But what about director Chad Stahelski? Because he he has obviously found great success with this franchise, but he's also in demand because of the success he saw with this franchise and has a lot that he's talked about being attached to in recent months, if not years. So do you think he's going to come back? Do you want him to come back? And can this franchise carry on at the same level without him? Uh, I, you know, it's hard to tell because like you said, he has so many projects that are, he's talked about and then he's passionate about, but he really, as opposed to where David Leach went on to sort of forge this blockbuster career, he seems to really see the John Wick franchise as kind of his baby mm-hmm. that he wants to tend to. And certainly in interviews when he talks about it, he, he refers to it as something he's still invested in. He doesn't sound like he would just pass it off, but you never know. Like what if his dream job comes up now, mm-hmm. maybe he might, might walk away and hand it to someone he trusts. I hope not. Yeah, I hope not, too. Just I, hope, I hope not, and I hate coming across as though I am saying nobody can direct a John Wick movie quite like he can, but mm. again, he's done so well with this franchise, and so much of this franchise and the action and what makes it stand out is the visual style and, and really the varying color palettes from place to place. There are certain sequences in this movie that were just mind-blowingly good to me where I can't really imagine any any one person being able to duplicate how they just figure out the geography and they move the camera around a particular set. It is so freaking good that I just I don't want to lose that, even though losing that might mean bringing that talent to another movie or show. Yeah, I would rather 
I mean, it needs to happen soon, and we already have a release date, but I, I'd like to see the tone stay the same, and that's such a hard thing to accomplish. Like, I love all four Lethal Weapons because they're all Dick Donner films, and they feel like Dick Donner films. I love when you can have a franchise feel like it's the same beating heart of, of a universe, and I feel like I agree. This is such a specific beating heart. It's such a specific mm-hmm. flavor that I'm not sure. There's a reason this broke all of our minds when the first one came out, and then it's escalated from there, and that's this style of directing. So either I feel like it'd be someone trying to do this, and that would feel like a diet coke version right. or it would be a totally different thing and that might not be john wick so i'd like to see him stay on i'd like to see where the story goes with his universe so personally I, that's where i'm gonna land on it with all right him. jumping to the live chat now to talk a little bit about where the story could go here is a terrible idea from xx <laughs> your disease who writes throw in a twist for john wick 4 and have the main villain use dogs against mr wick no because no, i don't no. want to see any more dog violence no more actually i want to see the dogs you know survive i don't want to see any like puppy incidents because when I rank the movies, I put three at the top and one right behind it simply because I can't watch the first act of the first John Wick movie <laughs> because I cry the entire time. It's real intense. <laughs> it's it's a a real. I did a rewatch of all of them leading up. I did like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and it was such a journey still getting through the first act, like even knowing what's going to happen, even having watched it three times. I'm still like, I can't do it again, John. Without did- spoiling anything. As someone with major animal violence sensitivities, I was okay with what they did here. So as long as they draw the line there, add all the dogs you want, but just don't cross that line. Mm. I mean, it's also, as we all know, it's the perfect mechanism in the first film for him to go on this rampage and have us be on his side because the dog's too cute and it's too horrible. But he is... He's a man of the dogs. <laughs> we have to maintain that integrity. I guess so. Here's a good idea from Josh Herrera. Um, hype AF for more Halle Berry. I need her to team up with Carrie Ann Moss. So actually taking a cue from that, let's yes. do a little fan casting. We did it a little bit on the spot and weren't really like prepped for it yesterday. So if you could throw somebody into this franchise, whether it's someone John Wick has to fight or somebody has to team up with, who would it be and why? They kind of took my, I was going to say Carrie and Moss because of the Matrix. Uh, I really would have liked to have the full trifecta team up. Mm-hmm. I'd really like that. So since we've already established that, maybe Joey Pants, some Joey Pantiliano coming in, being the villain. I'd like to see that. I Like any Matrix team up, the Matrix in 1999 changed my life. <laughs> Anytime I could have a moment of reference for the Matrix, I am all about it. If not, uh, who else would be amazing? Uh, he gets used a lot, and he's definitely in the Fast and the Furious movie for this reason, but Idris Elba would be, like, yeah. the, the physical powerhouse aspect. Like, I'd like to see someone that just feels so much bigger than, than John fighting him. See, I want the opposite. I want someone, like, a lot smaller, but with gymnast ability, so my mind immediately Ooh. went to Tom Holland. Could, oh. you, could you imagine Tom Holland as, like, like a youthful assassin just John running a child? <laughs> kind of a little bit. And then the other name I thought of because... Where has she been lately? Zoe Bell, who I think is oh. phenomenal, and she has a stunt background, but she's also actually starred in a whole bunch of movies, and I've really seen a whole bunch of things that she's great in. So yeah. this franchise just seems like a perfect fit for her. Jumping off of something you said actually yesterday for Catwoman, but Sofia Botella could be a really good perfect, one. yeah. Well, especially because she was in Atomic Blonde, so I feel yeah. like it's just about picking up the phone and saying, "Hey, set each other up," and then I it's know. a done deal. And she's—I feel like she's got the perfect vibe for it, and we know she can kick ass and she's got that ballet background. Her character in Hotel Artemis versus John Wick, they're both set in hotels full of assassins. It's a shared universe is what I'm saying, everyone. Well, I wouldn't mind if that 
<laughs> it's obviously not possible, but if like the Artemis was just a couple blocks away from another continental, I would have no problem with that whatsoever. I would also love to see a conversation between Jodie Foster and Ian McShane. Ooh. You read my Dueling mind. You read hotels. my mind. If we get even, all right, oh. even if they're not connected, and we get another continental somewhere in in the U.S. or beyond, yep. have Jodie Foster be the head of it, please. And or, then, or you could save that for the TV series because who knows how many continentals that's going to cover. And that means we have a chance of Sterling K. Brown and Lawrence Fishburne having worked together. Any of it. Hotel Artemis is slept on, is what we're saying, I you agree. Guys. So I good. agree. <laughs> All right. Before we move on to story number two, which is, one, the Once Upon a Time reactions. Once Upon a Time? What am I saying? Once Upon a Time <laughs> in Hollywood, that's specific. The reactions to the first screening at a can. And also, we're going to cover the trailer and a whole bunch of other trailers that dropped this morning. You know what? You got some stuff to look out on the Collider Video YouTube channel. Check it out now. Hey guys, Riley here, and let me tell you about Rule of Two. You looking for a Star Wars fix? Well, Rule of Two is that show. It drops now on Collider Video's main YouTube channel, as well as on Podcast One's Jedi Council feed. So go over there, subscribe, share it with your friends. It's hosted by myself and Mark Fernandez. We talk everything in the Star Wars universe with a lot of deep dives and a lot of conversations that go all in. You know what to do. Subscribe, join us there, and rise. So go check out Rule of Two, and then Haley's at the table right now, so I have to plug it. The Witching Hour, because we had an especially cool episode this week, because Brightburn director David Yarovesky, he came in, we spoke to him for a full 45 minutes, we had a great chat. You can listen to it on the Collider Factory feed for podcast form, or you can watch the interview on the Collider Interview YouTube channel, so go check that out as well. All right. Let's jump into this. Let's kick this off with trailers first. So we have three trailers that we're looking to discuss. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, also Toy Story 4, the final trailer for that one. And on top of that, we got our very first trailer for the Downton Abbey movie. Which one, if you guys had to pick just one, sold you the most? I mean, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. All right, all right. I figured that was going to be the answer. (laughs) Worth asking, but. So when you pair that trailer and your reaction to it with everything coming out of Cannes right now... What are you thinking for the future of this movie? Is the reaction going to be as high and enthusiastic as we near closer to the actual release of the movie? Or is this, you know, festival buzz that might fizzle out? I mean, I think for festival reviews, they're actually sort of tame. So I would anticipate it being maybe more of a divisive film of his. Not that his films aren't usually divisive. (laughs) Yeah. But, um, I mean, they're definitely filled with praise, but a lot of them have addendums of how, like, this scene might rub people the wrong way, or I don't really like how he handled this moment, but overall. So they're not, you know, festival reviews tend to be pretty, pretty glowing. To me, this reads as, like, a well-received film, but one that's probably going to spark a lot of conversation. That's fair. And uh, we have someone in the live chat who agrees with us. Fillmore Pockets says QT's Hollywood trailer was dope. We agree. It was so dope. we actually had someone in Cannes reviewing the movie and our own Greg Elwood. He gave it an A minus. But I understand your interpretation of the reviews because I saw a whole bunch of them out there that basically said that movie was a lot for various reasons. I'm going to sit and think about it and then give you a reaction. One in particular we have here is from 
Kyle Buchanan of the New York Times who tweeted, there will be many, many hot takes to come on the new Tarantino, but I don't mind letting mine cool off on the counter a little longer. I know it's more relaxed than I was expecting and that DiCaprio is terrific, funny and poignant. The rest I'm going to mull over. Just to highlight a few others, we have one from Isabel Steves of Sight and Sound who wrote, once upon a time in Hollywood or Tarantino's bromance, naturally in love with the old timey movies and L.A. on set Western scenes are my fave. Wasn't expecting to be so charmed by it. And if you're curious to know how Margot Robbie was in the movie, we have a tweet about that from Jordan Rumi of World of Real, who wrote, Why is no one tweeting about Margot Robbie? She's the heart and soul of the film. Her Sharon Tate is the most humane and resonant character of the entire movie. Almost every scene she's in is heartbreaking to watch. Koi, you hear all that. Where do you file this one away? Are you maybe predicting Oscar potential based on this kind of conversation? I feel like this is going to be, and I, this has probably been theorized before and it's probably been talked about, but I haven't heard it, is that this is going to be one of those like historical retrofitted Tarantino films. I think he changes what happens with the Manson murders, and I think the reason people aren't about it is because they're not... It's not the story. Like, I think Tarantino Tarantino's this like he did in Glorious Bastards. He even, like, nods to Inglorious Bastards in the film. Yeah. So I don't know if the Oscar world will approve of a film that doesn't follow history. I don't think they'll go out on a lamb, like, you know, like, if, if they don't follow the Manson murders as they actually happened, which is what I think happens mm-hmm. in the film, I don't see the Academy being like, let's reward that. Well, the so, second you make a more challenging film, it's going to be more divisive. It kind of just goes hand in hand. So I wouldn't be surprised if the general public's reaction when it comes out later this summer is a little bit of a mix down the line. And of course, that can hurt Oscar chances when you want to get the most amount of people behind a film. But certain things that are being said about the ending, and of course, we know that Quentin Tarantino put the call out, do not spoil the movie for very good reason. Although all... he didn't use the word spoilers, which what did I he, actually what did he liked. Say? He just said, like, preserve it for yeah. people. I don't know. I, I just like that it didn't directly feed into like spoiler phobic culture. He just was like, let's be gracious people. Yes. Mm. A good choice of wording that mm. I hope everybody still follows. Yeah. But given what has basically been said but not said about the ending, as long as it has something, especially with the true events that it's covering, I've seen a couple that have said that there's, there's something uplifting about the ending and that's kind of what I'm holding tight to and I think if he can make that story and also assess the state of Hollywood in that error and leave you with that kind of feeling, that could send you out the door thinking about it in a more positive way had it been, you know, maybe a little more bleak. One of my favorite parts of the trailer is how much it loves L.A., and yeah. that's definitely a bias I have, and I'm, I, I'm sure there are people that share it and people that don't, but the entire time when they're like, Cherokee, like when I see streets mm-hmm. I drive on, I get really excited. I think a lot of Academy voters would probably feel the same And that's way. what I was thinking. I was yeah. like, look at Tarantino voting with the people that vote because they live here. Like, yeah. he's definitely like leaning into that, and there's, like, we love biopics, and the, the Academy loves biopics, mm-hmm. the Academy loves nostalgia, and the Academy loves Hollywood. Yeah. So he's got a lot of boxes, so he has a lot of leeway, but if it revisionist history isn't something they generally like. But I will say, like, I feel really good chances for the actors in this. Maybe not his script, maybe not directing, depending on how all that is received, but I feel like, especially the way people are talking about DiCaprio and uh, Brad Pitt, they Mm -hmm. seem certainly like that could be a conversation that comes down the line. My favorite part of any review, though, 
was in The Guardian, where they described it as a bizarre Jacobean horror fantasy. And that really gets me (laughs) interested. That makes me fascinated. And going back to the ensemble, I did see a bunch of shout-outs for a whole bunch of people, even, you know, below the two of them on the list, down to small cameos, which we know Quentin Tarantino likes to do quite a bit, is that these aren't just shoehorned in for the sake of having a famous face, but they all make an impression. So I am hoping that holds true as well. But you know what? We have to move on from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because Jody Petrella says, Downtown Abbey, Downtown Abbey, Abbey, please, please, please. Yes, yes, yes. So excited. Do you share that excitement? Because I'm pretty sure one, two, three, like we've all never seen a single episode of Downtown Abbey. I've no. never seen I've seen about seven <laughs> seconds. Mad. I've seen about seven seconds of Downtown Abbey because it was in Iron Man 3. So in the seven <laughs> seconds of experience now, Happy Hogan likes Downton Abbey, and I've heard a lot of great jokes about Downton Abbey, and that's enough for me to go, good on you, Downton Abbey. And everyone that likes it sure probably liked the trailer that looked a lot like Downton Abbey, and for them, I'm happy. My question is, is there anything wrong with them making a movie like this and then dishing out a trailer that might only appeal to longtime fans? Because I was kind of hoping to watch this trailer and finally feel encouraged to go revisit Mm -hmm. all of the seasons and catch up. And similar to what happened when the Deadwood trailer dropped, I didn't feel that way. But (laughs) I mean, is that right? Is that wrong? I don't know how much they spent on this. I don't know what their target audience is per se. So it's just a different game when we're talking about the continuation of a show in TV format versus a wide theatrical release. Yeah, I don't know if it's right or wrong. I'm, I, I feel like it's not especially wise because I definitely like struggled to get through the trailer as someone who doesn't know the characters, doesn't really know anything at all. Yeah. I left feeling that I also still do not know <laughs> anything at all, except that it looks beautiful. The it cinematography does. looks it gorgeous. It looks and sounds beautiful, yeah. too. I think what was capturing my attention more so than anything was the score. When it would, like, swell, mm. I found myself kind of being absorbed in that world and wanting more. Did you guys see Life Itself? Oh, no. Okay, it was a movie that was horribly yes, reviled I, this year. Oh, I we're, oh, well we're well aware okay. of Life so Itself Life here. Itself last yeah. year, I liked and i am a dan fogelman fan because i love this is us i watched this is us and we're both boston kids there's probably (laughs) something to that now but what i found fascinating about life itself is that most people that love this is us got something out of life itself and most people that don't watch it didn't so for me Mm. this feels very similar in that there's a tone that a creator captures that when it's in the trailer and you're a fan of something it kind of translates even if it's a different property so i feel like they shot a trailer made for that market whether they could or not like i don't know how they could expand it like i don't know how i'd sell life itself to someone that doesn't watch this is us because i like that intense almost operatic emotional through line it has but if you don't like that you're never gonna like it a trailer can't sell you on it what, so, what about people who don't know if they like it though it's like i've never watched any of this is us so i have nothing against it but sure. i didn't like life itself and i have nothing against downton abbey whatsoever but this trailer didn't do it for me as someone who's never watched the show i just don't know how to sell downton abbey. i like it's so specific is what I'm, i think i'm getting at it's like it's such a specific thing like what else would the trailer be if not what it was well also the other thing is i don't think anyone on this panel is really a big fan of british period pieces and that kind of drama so like maybe it works better for people who are really into that genre and maybe they did walk out going like oh i think i know what this is about there's only one thing to talk about now sporks (laughs) <laughs> I, just, I had no transition whatsoever. Speaking <laughs> so of British high gotta, drama, Toy Story. We got to talk about Forky, too. Because this new Toy Story trailer teased Forky's big adventure. I'm curious, Coy, did it stress you out? 
Okay, we one of my favorite movie talks of all time is the existential crisis we got to have with Forky. Yes. And I am still in for the existential crisis aspect. I'm just worried that I'm not going to be into the rest. In this trailer, I love Toy Story, but I got distracted three times. And I like tra- a trailer's two and a half minutes. Like, if I'm like looking as not that's not the sell so i'm in because it's toy story i'm not in because of the advertising i want to see sporky have an existential crisis figure out what it means what the meaning of life is if life is creation if you're a, a meat sack i want to know all those things but the actual trailers i love the buzz Lightyear mm-hmm. scene i love the falling with style i loved moments but i didn't stay invested for two and a half minutes i don't know if i'll stay invested for 90 i did stay invested for two and a half minutes and the marketing campaign does have me looking forward to it i don't know as a big toy story fan if i could say this is one of the greatest marketing campaigns ever. I'm not as hyped as I thought I would be based on the trailers. What's excited me more about the approach to the release is some of the stuff that came out of the uh, the Pixar visit. Hearing those details, like in particular, the idea of you have the villain mentality versus the Bo Peep mentality. Bo Peep kind of adjusting to her life as a lost toy and being her own toy, whereas uh, I believe it's Gabby Gabby is still like desperate to find a home and a person. And I like those themes. And the more I hear about those, the more I look at this material and say, this is what I'm getting in a piece of promo, in a piece of marketing material. But when I actually see this in the context of the full feature, there's going to be more to it. And I like that I could see teeny tiny hints. Mm -hmm. But again, I'm not over the moon about any of these trailers we've seen so far. Yeah, I kind of agree with everything that both of you just said. Like, I'm I'm interested because it's Toy Story, and specifically what you said, Perry, the, the things that we've heard that didn't come directly from the promotional marketing campaign about Gabby Gabby or Forky, that I guess maybe the darker elements of the film, which is not surprising. Toy Story has dark elements throughout its franchise. But these trailers are very light. They're very comedy-focused. They're very kid-focused, which the makes sense. And they have to market it, too. This time. Yeah, yeah. 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 But you have we, to know your market, and that's what yeah. I, I feel like I'm not the market, so it's marketing to its market it needs to sell to. We're going to see it anyway. You don't, right. have, you don't have to sell to a kid born in the late 80s, early 90s, a Toy Story movie. Right. They're in. So why not sell to a kid born in the late 90s, early 2000s, or younger? And that's what these trailers are doing. So I'm not mad at them, yeah. and I'm there, but they know that. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, we have a very hot take in the comments section Ooh. right now. J-R-M-E-X-T-X-C says, a must-see. I think this may end Woody's story. I don't know. I think Ooh. it's because of the child's play campaign that's been happening <laughs> and the really brutal spin that I'm like, they can't kill Woody, can they? I, I, but like, can a toy again, die? His story yeah. can end without him dying. I mean, but we don't know I feel toys like can child's die. play is just getting in my head. <laughs> Did you see that poster? Oh, well, that was, yeah, we were. That it's was, like, I thought the last one was brutal. Like, freaking roasting Slinky Dog is hands down <laughs> one of the. Like, I'm surprised it didn't upset me more. <laughs> uh, I don't know. That's an interesting question. How do you end Woody's story in a way that's not upsetting or. Because if you think about like what the end means for a toy, things get very dark very fast. Toy Story so, three, that like the right, thing yeah, where we right. thought it ended. Yeah, but that was like an optimistic. It was like the perfect ending, which is what makes this such a dangerous film to make. But I mean, in terms of, of specifically ending Woody's story, I don't. know, Maybe it's focusing on a single character. I don't see how that doesn't get dark and depressing. I just can't wait to see how the child's play uh, campaign. <laughs> yeah, first. like even though this is the last Toy Story four trailer, please don't let this stop until these movies <laughs> come out on the twenty first. I am like overjoyed by what they're doing right now. And with that, that is the end of today's movie talk. 
McCoy, Haley, thank you guys so much for being here today. Adam in the booth, thank you for all your hard work. And Thad, Thad hey. is holding on the fort in the live chat. I hope it. you guys heard that Thad vouches for Downton Abbey, even though none of us do. But it's okay. It. You know what? Tomorrow is a brand new day, a brand new episode of Movie Talk, and we're going to have so many more stories to cover. So like and share this episode and hold on tight. We will be back tomorrow, 3 p.m. PT Live with a brand new episode. Hey, little chico, pit bull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game, so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary.